This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement, Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, It becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure that I have the opportunity of welcoming Dr. Steve Iacovelli to the show today, the gay leadership dude. Dr. Steve is an award-winning author, speaker, and catalyst for inclusive leadership in and out of the workplace. He's an entrepreneur, having founded Top Dog Learning Group LLC in 2008, and a thought leader in leadership, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, as well as change management. Steve is also the host of his own podcast, The Top Dog Podcast. Steve and Top Dog have worked with well-known clients like the Walt Disney Company, Bayer, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and others. He enjoys helping his clients grow, expand, develop, and become successful with such areas as corporate learning, change management, diversity and inclusion, and leadership consulting. With over 25 years of experience in leadership, strategy, organizational learning, and communication, Steve is a rare breed of a professional that understands the power of using academic theory and applying it to the corporate setting to achieve business results. It's a great pleasure I welcome Dr. Steve to the show. Welcome to the show, Dr. Steve. Thank you, Jason. Just call me Steve, please. I saw the student loan debt, so that's fine. (laughs) <laughs> I, I welcome you to the show. I am excited. I know we're both fellow Nova alum. I went to the law school and you obviously got your ED there, educational doctorate. I love the school. I lived there on campus for three years and I was like an RA. I was a nerd. I was an RA on campus and uh, student of the year, my last year of law school for the entire campus. And it's just a great place. No, I was going to say, it's funny you say that because uh, I got my doctorate actually in instructional technology and distance education. So I was doing distance ed before this whole pandemic coolness or, or there were so, but I, I also did it like as a, a, a pseudo residency and via distant so I only went to campus like three times a year usually for like a week or so and so I didn't have the full immersive experience of of, of collegiate life at least at Nova yeah I, I I really enjoyed Nova it was a good experience for me and and I had I had one of the great gigs I was an RA right resident advisor for graduate students I had 12 graduate students in one of the dorms and they were all medical students so I didn't have to do anything as an RA, but study and get paid for it. So it was, it was really beneficial for me. <laughs> That's awesome. I want to ask you, so why do you call yourself the gay leadership dude? It's, it's a funny story. Um, so I have been, you know, doing consulting and things on my own. So, uh, Top Dog started in 2008 and kind of been in the same field in various places as you shared uh, off and on. But in uh, 2018, I, I was at a conference and I'm like going into a session, I'm sorting my business cards and this woman's next to me, she's doing the same thing. And she's like, what do you do? I'm like, you know, consulting, blah, blah, blah. And I said, how about you? She's like, I'm a publisher. I'm like, 
you know, there's a leadership book in my head that needs to come out. She's like, let's get that book out. And so uh, Jen, Jen Grace at Publisher Purpose Press was my publisher and worked with her and her team to kind of get, get my book baby born. But as we're going through the process, she's like, well, what's your brand? I said, well, well Top Dog, you know that. She said, no, your personal brand. I'm like, well, I don't really have one. Do I need one? She's like, well, think about it this way. When, you know, at some point you're going to sell Top Dog, but your, your book and, and your thought leadership will always be you. So, you know, having a personal brand is not a bad thing. So think about that. I'm like, okay. So started thinking about it. And then I, I came up with the gay leadership dude, Circle R for my legal friends. Thank you very much, <laughs> Um, so, um, and I, but I do like it because as someone who's part of a, an invisible minority, as you, you can say, depending on which facet of the community you look at, you immediately know three things about me, that um, I am gay by the gay leadership dude. Um, I self-identify as a dude and I really like to talk about leadership. So it really kind of cuts to the chase versus me having to always come out, oh, by the way, I have a husband, blah, blah, blah. I'm gay, blah, blah, blah. You know, like that's what we mean by invisible minority. Um, it's it's people uh, who have a difference. And, and I mean that in the most wonderful, diverse way in the world, but have a difference that isn't, isn't easily seen. And I'm using my bunny ears for those who can't see me. Um, it could be things such as neurodiversity, meaning how my brain might be different than the way you process things. Um, it, it could be a whole host of different, uh, uh, differing abilities. Uh, and you can throw being queer in that mix as well. You know, in my lifetime, and I'm sure yours as well, uh, gay rights has advanced, but it hasn't advanced all the way. And I want to ask you, what do you think, in your opinion, still is needed to advance LGBTQ rights for all to be where we need to, you know, as a society, society needs to equalize what's going on with this. And how long do you think that's going to take us? Um, so I'll just speak from a U.S. perspective. I, the Equality Act needs to be a thing. Um, if you're not familiar with the Equality Act, it's it's basically putting into solid law what's been piecemealed as of last summer with the SCOTUS ruling under Title IX. We're saying that that uh, sexual orientation and gender identity and gender expression are folded under um, the, the legal protections of a protected class. And so you can't you know, get rid of somebody from a job or from housing and other areas simply because they're they're queer. And I'll use that general term. Well, that's very that's like scotch tape on, on a situation where the Equality Act is meant to make it into law so that depending on the administration, they're not going to change things. They can't. Well, right now it's more of, um, you know, it, it's it's not as lock solid in there. And so, um, you know, that I think is one of the biggest things that needs to happen. Um, you know, up until last summer, I could walk into a job and they're like, oh, Steve, you got a husband. See ya, you're out of here. And that's completely and utterly legal. Um, and, and so now a lot of companies do not do that, but some could. And, and so that's the type of stuff that a lot of people don't realize. I mean, people are like, well, why do you need marriage? You know, because there's, I believe, 1,138 laws that um, automatically come into effect when you are actually legally wed. And, and so um, the, it's big things and small things, but they all matter. And so that's why people are like, well, why don't you just be domestic, domesticated or domestic partnered or whatever? And it's like, whoa, separate but equal. That's nice. I thought we kind of got over that. Um, we went through that. But, but also too, like, I, I love my husband. We've been together 23 years, but uh, and then, thank you. We married. I think I always have to look at the date that's sitting behind me. Cause I think we got married like seven years ago or something, but we've been together for a while, but, um, but you know, I, and, and it's funny. Cause they're like, why don't you just get domesticated and things of that nature? Well, it's that protection. And sounds like honestly, domesticated animals though. Domesticated. Why don't you get domesticated? Yeah. Okay. I said, but, <laughs> but you know, like, but I wouldn't care what you call it quite frankly. Cause I know there's you know, folks who were like, we're the, Marriage is religious thing. I agro Catholic. I gotcha. But the laws are written with that word marriage in there. If the law, if we rewrote those 1,138 laws, awesome sauce. And I don't care what you, you call it Taguchi Galput or whatever. I don't know. I just, you know, it's a lake in South Africa, South America or something like that. <laughs> Um, then anyway, the first word that came to my head, but yeah, you get the idea that, you know, it doesn't matter, but those are some of the things that, that I think, you know, when I threw out, oh, I'm the gay leadership dude, and and the amount of hate in 2021 that I could spew at me from a, a social media uh, perspective, it's like, yeah, we still got a long way to, to figure you, this out. Let me ask you about that, because you're you're vocal about your rights, and I support you 100%, and that's why I want to have you on the show. I want my show to be inclusive. I want my show to promote social justice. And for me, having someone like you on the show as a mouthpiece for LGBTQ rights, and just in general, your, your example, I think will be phenomenal as a role model to anyone in my audience who's questioning themselves, anyone who's struggling with coming out to themselves, or anyone just in general, not sure where they're at. And actually, I want to ask you this as a follow-up. I have a lot of gay friends from college, fraternity brothers, mm -hmm. 
law school, you know, we all have that in our, people come out over time and I see them struggle over the years. I wanted to ask you, what was the hardest part for you personally coming out for yourself when you were younger? Uh, so I'm going to um, correct you because I didn't come out when I was younger. Okay. Um, I didn't figure out my authentic self until about 24. So post uh, undergrad um, and, you know, didn't, didn't figure it out. You know, this is the nineties and, you know, just talking about uh, LGBTQ wasn't really a thing. Ellen hasn't, hadn't been on TV yet. I mean, you know, it was kind of like a different world. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. And then I actually was a big watershed moment, but um, so for me, you know, the hardest part was actually when I finally figured my authentic self out uh, and, and to, to share that with, of course, those immediately close to me, just like most, um, most queer people do when they figure their authentic selves out. Now, what I think is awesome is, uh, you know, you see folks who understand their authentic selves much younger. And so, uh, and, and I always phrase it, I just had this conversation with my mom a couple weeks ago up in Philly when I went to visit for the first time. Yay. Um, but <laughs> I, said, I said, you know, it's funny because I wish I would have figured myself out earlier because quite frankly, when you go, when you, you're like, oh, I'm gay or I, I know my authentic self, you actually kind of go through adolescence again. It sucks the first time. So I do it all <laughs> over again. And I'm like, dang, that would have been so much nicer to do it all in one fair swoop versus you kind of do this double, double dipping, if you will. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Toulousma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Toulousma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on ElectroCast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. ElectroCast. How do you think, and that's a, that's a good point. You said going through a second adolescence, right? So you're saying like you live your, your closeted life when you're younger up till the time you're 24. Then you have your authentic self emerge and then you kind of like re-engage yourself with your adolescence in terms of understanding what you are, who you are and yep. where you're headed. Does that sound about right? That's exactly right. Yep. Okay. Uh, that's a great way of phrasing it. I think I never thought of it that way because of my friends and whatnot, but I want to ask you this. What do you think for you personally, once you became your authentic self, I'll use that in quotes because I mean, it doesn't need to be in quotes, but what do you think in terms of your authentic self? You would recommend anyone who's not there yet for the show. Like, let's say we have a member of the audience who's not with their authentic self yet and they struggle. What advice or suggestion would you give them to help them on their own understanding of who they are and where they fall in the spectrum of life? I think, you know, and, and this can apply to, to the work I do in, in helping foster inclusive leadership is when I say being your authentic self, it doesn't just have to be a queer person. It could be any type of thing that you're not bringing fully to the table. Um, it could be big or small. It could be, you know, hiding, um, you know, the fact that you like certain things or, or you know, you're just like, you, you you put on that mask when you get into the workplace. And and studies show time and again, that when you're, you're, you're dodging those types of um, inauthentic moments, you actually are wasting energy and you're not as effective as a leader. So what, Whatever your true authentic self is, bring it on to the workplace because not only is that the right thing to do for your own psyche, but you're actually be more successful at it. People will trust you more because, you know, and, I, and I'll apply it to my, my you know, queer community. You know, I, I know people, I mean, statistics show that 50% of LGBTQ plus people are not out at work still. Uh, at least that's the 50%. latest. 50%. Wow. 50%. A human rights campaign is, is the one who does this research. I don't know if it's the latest because of COVID, but usually it's like one, just one year back. But the latest one they cite is 2018. And um, so, you know, 50%. And, and, and so what does that look like? Well, you know, I go into work or even on log into my Zoom and people are like, what do you do this weekend? If I'm not out, I, I'm, I'm dodging those questions. I'm not going to be authentic. I'm not going to be truthful. Or they're like, oh, do you have a partner? Or, or excuse me, do you have a, do you have a wife? Um, how do I answer that? And I, I get that asked a lot. You know, when I go to a client site, when I used to go there and they're like, oh, I see you have a ring on. What's your wife's name? And so- <laughs> I have a choice to make at that moment in time. And, and so, you know, I, I go back to that, you know, we're, um, uh, you know, kind of an invisible minority because that whole coming out thing, many of us have to do that over and over and over and over again. It's not just that, Hey, I'm 24. Guess what, mom and dad, woohoo. I like boys. And that's it. It's, it's, it's a continual presence unless you use the title, like 
the gay leadership dude, then it's pretty obvious. <laughs> you know what I like about your branding? It's authentic. <laughs> it's literally a chapter in my book is authenticity. So I kind of need to do it. <laughs> That's important for me in my, at this stage of my life is people who are authentic and real. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you this. Carl Nassib came out first openly active NFL player. And it was, it, it was received. I mean, it kind of shook <laughs> the fabric of our media for a few days. And I wanted to see what you, what, what was your take on that? I think it's great. I, I think whenever uh, someone in a high profile spotlight can share their authentic selves, whatever that looks like, I always think it, it's great. You know, there's there's some some gay kid in in middle America who's not surrounded by uh, maybe the most inclusive group and sees, wow, look, I can now be a pro football player and be who I really want to be. That's awesome. I also do think, though, that the one thought that that came into my head was that for, you know, and, and this now gets into the concept of, um, you know, what we call, and I'm using bunny ears again, masculinity. And so for every, um, you know, pretty, pretty masculine kind of person like him to come out on the football field on the gridiron, you know, there's how many other more infeminine men who had to, who maybe couldn't hide or be passing as a straight person within the context of the world that had to like live that open lifestyle in order for it to be okay for a pro football player to come out. And so I think it's kind of two sides of the coin. I'm so happy you did. Happy for him. Hope he, hope he is uh, not treated any differently than he was before, but also to honor those that that did come out before him because they paved the way for him to be allowed to uh, be accepted on, on the NHL and all that good stuff. And, and there and there have been other athletes that come out, but none ever have been actively in the NFL at the time of coming out is my understanding. So that's a big that's a big like, you know, how women the glass ceiling, right? Mm -hmm. This is like the pink ceiling or something. Yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah, kind of yeah. making my own label for it, but having one crack now and an NHL, they just had the NHL player that came out. I'm off the top of my head. I apologize for not knowing that right now, but just seeing these different things occurring, I feel like at some point our professional athletes may not feel as much pressure to stay con concealed. And, and, and I, if, you, if you look at like historically speaking, especially when we talk about pro athletes, it's always after they retire after they retired, after they left. And then they're like, hello. And it's like, <laughs> it shouldn't have to be that way, you know? And, and, and also the other thing, when he came out, a lot of people on social media were like, why is this a big deal? And, and, and like, why, why are we dealing with this, you know, in the 20, 2021? I'm like, you know what? I'm there with you. I wish it wasn't a big flipping deal, but it still is. When you look at the negative reactions, um, you know, when Michael Sam came out, you know, and there's another pro football player, he wasn't active yet. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the little difference. But what happened to him? You know, he, he, he didn't get a lot of opportunities. Now, some would argue he wasn't just wasn't that good. Um, and I'm, I don't follow pro football, to be honest with you. I'm more of a, a collegiate football uh, follower, quite frankly. But um, but, you know, he didn't go anywhere where we, they thought he would from his draft pick. And, you know, so is it because he just wasn't the performer they wanted or was it uh, to do with who he loved? And you know, you, we don't won't know that. Well, you know, that actually, when you just said that, I thought of something called inherent bias, Yep. right? Something that's under the surface that people can try to do as much as possible. You know, they can have their bias and have their, their opinions, right? And you won't really know if they cloak it in such a way. Well, oh, well, he didn't perform very well. If the guy got into the NFL, I'm assuming he's a pretty damn good player and he has a lot of athletic ability, agility, and talent. He performed well. I bet you, if anything, my opinion is it's probably because of inherent bias at the time Absolutely. with societal Absolutely. aspects of things and those kind of things. And, and you also look, and this is what I think is fascinating. Look at how the, um, the NFL reacted between the two scenarios, insanely different experiences. And, and, and I think that's, that's also very telling of the greater societal norms and where, where we're at um, in, in the embracing of us others, uh, in this case, you know, a, a, a gay football player. So I, I think you know, things are moving in the right direction, back to your, your question earlier, but there's still a, a ton of opportunity that needs to happen. And, and you know, I see that here in our state of Florida, um, but I see it well beyond um, from a national perspective and even international perspective. I mean, there's people who are, are getting killed because they're, they're gay uh, in other countries still. It's 2021, and and that and that's sanctioned by many governments and, and leadership, and so there's a lot to do. Um, I can at least try my little you know gay leadership dude world to make people a bit more inclusive, whether that be queer leaders and be more strong, or just awesome allies to be better allies for us others. 
What has been the most rewarding experience for you being the gay leadership dude? Um, I love that you asked me that today because I, I, I it actually happened today. No lie. Really? So I'm honored to have you share. <laughs> I, I know it's and that was not planned, folks who are listening. That was actually that's spontaneous. Um, so one of the things that I did based upon my book. Uh, Pride Leadership was create an, an eight-week online leadership training program. It was going to be online prior to COVID. Uh, they're just very serendipitous, yay. Um, but um, basically the idea is uh, leaders pop in, they take eight modules, which dive deeper into the six leadership competencies that I talk about in my book, Pride Leadership, uh, which are um, authenticity, courage, empathy, communication, relationships, and culture. And these are applicable to anybody. You don't have to be a gay leader or a straight leader. It's any leader can benefit from them. But in the book, I kind of frame it through through what I call the rainbow lens, if you will. <laughs> and um, so we've, we actually had a, a group um, graduate yesterday. And one of the participants you know, took a picture of his certificate and put it on social media and was just like, you know, this was such an amazing experience. I loved it. Um, it totally changed how I look as a leader, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just like, you know, one, yay, that was the idea. <laughs> but two, a lot of people and, and everybody listening probably sees this or, or experiences it. Um, we don't always get the good feedback. Uh, a lot of times we're very quick to call and be like, I have a complaint, blah, blah, blah. But that good stuff still takes effort too. And just to have, have this participant take the screenshot of the thing, write this beautiful paragraph and when he got out of it and share it across his, his different social media channels, that was just kind of a cool highlight. You know what? I love you sharing that because that's fan mail, right? Yeah. In a way, it's fan mail. I had, I had somebody actually send me a... Uh, an email yesterday thanking me for something that was discussed on the show. And I was looking at it and I was like, wait a minute, they're complimenting me on the show right now. Like I'm not used to that, no matter what. Right. So when you get that kind of positive feedback, it's so reinforcing, right? It makes you realize you're on the right path with what you're doing. And it makes you feel so good inside because you you know that you're helping other people kind of grasp these complex issues and, and feel better about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I love the graphic, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For those of us like listening to the podcast, and there will be the, the video on YouTube in the near future, but I love your graphics and thank you, thank you for sharing that. It helps our audience see what we're discussing. When you say high leadership mm-hmm. for your book, can you explain what that title means to you and why? Yeah, uh, Pride Leadership Strategies for the LGBTQ Plus Leader to be the King or Queen of Their Jungle, which is the name of my book. Uh, two awards so far. Um, I think that's... Congratulations. Uh, yeah, it was kind of fun. Um, it, it's also an audiobook form, and I'll tell you a story about that in a little bit. But um, you know, the, the concept of Pride Leadership was that when I, when I look at the 25 plus years I've been in this space and what really separates... Um, meh leaders from like rock star leaders. And, and I kind of organized it. It came up with these six competencies, these six areas. And, and so regardless of straight or gay, these are the six that if you man, if you master these, you will be a rock star leader, period. But then what I did was through, uh, and I, I was going to write kind of the generic leadership book. That's where the path I was going. And then um, I do a lot of uh, volunteer work in social justice, uh, both with the queer, queer community and elsewhere, I led a couple of groups here in Central Florida. And um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, leadership is on my mind even more so than normal. And so now I'm looking at some of my, my peer leaders, my my peer gay leaders out there. And um, do you remember that TV show, Sex in the City? Yeah, of course. Okay, so, you know, revival's coming out of it. Well, can you <laughs> sit down with that horrible old Mac that she had, she'd open it up and she'd type in and she'd always start, I couldn't help but wonder. And that's kind of what happened to me. I'm like, I couldn't help but wonder, is there something about the, the LGBTQ blue experience that makes it different for you as a leader, or it, you know, it's just a, an ability to exercise leadership differently. And so, like, so I started thinking about it through, uh, and and so, for example, authenticity. We we're talking about it earlier. If I'm an out gay person in the workplace, you can't get more authentic than that. And 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 so the idea is in in pride leadership is to identify that and then channel that toward just being a more awesome leader. Courage is another one. You hear about courageous leadership and all that stuff. Yes, everybody needs to be, be a courageous leader. But what does that look like as a trans person who's sitting in that meeting and wants to share their authentic self? So now you see how they tie together. And these are all not silos. There's such this big ball of six competencies intertwined in a really awesome way. So that's kind of how pride leadership goes. But I'll finish that, that part with um, when I wrote the book, and I had my my editor, Heather, 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 the editor, which sounds fun. <laughs> uh, so 
so Heather called me. I'm in this coffee shop in downtown Orlando, and I'm nervous as heck because well, I'll say nervous as hell because uh, you know she's the only other person in the universe to have read the first draft of my book. So I'm like, mm-hmm. and uh, she calls me. I, I answer it, and pacing back and forth, and she's like, okay, Steve. So I, I let me start by saying. I am not your target audience. I'm like, what? She's like, I'm a white cisgendered straight woman. I'm like, and she's like, this is the book I wanted for my MBA program. I'm like, what? And she's like, it's funny and it's cheeky and your dad humor is awesome, but it's like solid leadership theory. You cite like everybody. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not the first one to think about this stuff. And so she's like, you need to de-gay the book. I'm like, no. <laughs> what? She's like, you know, just to get a broader audience. I said, like no. Like it? Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> Uh, uh, gray wash it, I guess, kind of like what a lot, a lot of companies do July 1st after Pride Month. They're like, oh, rainbows are gone. No. <laughs> and I said, I'm not going to do that um, because I think our awesome allies will enjoy it just as much. And sure enough, that's actually what's happened. I have a lot of folks who read it who are part of the community and they get my cheeky dad jokes as, as well as the um, very strategic ways to build your, your leadership competence. Wow. I, uh, I was in Target a couple of weeks ago in June. And I was impressed to see that they had pride clothing in Target. Yep. And it's it's impressive because when you think five years, ago, was it six years ago at this point? Seven years ago is when gay, gay marriage was legalized, 2015. So yes, that's how fast time goes. And with the COVID thing, I still feel like it's 2019 in certain ways. It's kind of crazy. But I mean, seeing that kind of progress in it's not fast enough compared to, you know, people who struggle in middle America and all those kind of things with LGBTQ kind of stuff. But it's nice. It's refreshing to see that there's at least some progress occurring. Do you think the pace is sufficient for your, you know, do you think there, what can we do to, you know, get things done better than where they're headed already? I think, um, Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's great to see those things. And I'm sure, you know, there's, there's you know, some uh, young queer kid walking through the mall and seeing all of these awesome rainbow displays. That's fantastic. But what does that company do the other 11 months of the year? And that's the, always the big question I have. And so talking about the pace of change and inclusivity, um, it's, it's going to depend more so on not what can we you know, have some gay swag and sell it to people, but what do our internal resources look like for our LGBT employees? What do our policies look like for family leave? Does it include same-sex couples? What about our health benefits? Do they include all sorts of folks, including our trans brothers and sisters? So I, I think you know the pace is going the way it goes. Um, and it is getting quicker, which is fantastic. But I, I think um, you know I always look at these folks who are, um, you know, uh, rainbow washing everything with a look and and I'm a, I'm a glass half full, super positive person, but I'm also a realist and know that for, there's an article I posted actually on social media and it's the 25, um, big rainbow waving June groups that actually give to, um, anti LGBT politicians. And, and so, and, but, you know, and I get it, you're, you're buttering your bread on both sides of it and I, yeah, fine, but that's where I always take, you know, and, and some of them, I have to admit, were some of my clients. And, and, and so it's a little bit tough to be like, you're so awesome. You have rainbows everywhere. Your logo changed on LinkedIn for the month of June when you just gave to XYZ, you know, jerk who's trying to smash trans rights federally, you know, at the federal level. So, you know, you have to be careful with that. And, and so I, I think from a speed, those types of things need to come out quicker um, that, you know, people do it and that's fine. You're a business. You want to you know, have your broad business reach, but don't do it at the detriment of your own uh, corporate values. Well, as you said that, I thought of the first thing you have on your list, authenticity. How are you authentic if you are supporting gay, gay rights in June and then supporting someone like a Santorum type yeah. <laughs> in, in July, right? He's not an active politician anymore. He's more of a talk head, talking head on certain channels, but how do you do that? Like, who, because organizations are run by people. They're human beings. They run corporate entities. You and I both have our, our own organizations, like mine's small, but it doesn't matter. It's like, if you have a certain authenticity about yourself, you need to carry that into your business. I think that helps with your business reputation and also your connection to the local community and the people you work with. Yeah. And so when you're trying to slice your bread on both sides of the, of the it, it, it's, it's not going to work well in the long run for a company like that. 
it could be a PR bomb that will go off and then you have to, and that's actually what happened with a lot of these companies. You know, this investigative reporter came out, showed all these different places they were putting their money and they had to deal with it. And, and, and I, I think that's fascinating then to watch. Uh, and, and, and it's, you know, it could be, oh my gosh, you know, I'm a multinational company. We didn't know that was happening because that's one department and we're this other department or whoops, you caught us. Um, you know, what does that look like? And, and what's the mea culpa that kind of comes into fruition? How concerned are you about the conservative Supreme Court appointed with Trump three justices in terms of the future of gay marriage or LGBTQ transgender rights kind of stuff? What do you think? Um, when the court became what it is and two of the more conservative justices were completely blatant about questioning, um, marriage equality. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, I don't want to be treated like a second class citizen. I'm a, I'm a business owner. I, I give my share just like everybody else. And to, to have somebody, you know, just at that level of exposure say, yeah, maybe we need to rethink that whole marriage equality thing. I'm like, no, no. The bullet is fired out of the gun. You can't put the bullet back into the gun and expect everyone to be like, okay. That bell has been rung for exactly. I, I get frustrated and, and I know that for others who are in the social justice arena, both for my community as well as just for all of the others, um, it, it gets frustrating. And I think that's where we need to just take a breath, um, you know, think about some, some self-care, make sure our batteries are where they need to be, and then say, okay, well then how do we change minds and hearts so that they can see things a little bit differently? I think something like marriage equality going away would be insanely hard at this point. So I'm a little less concerned about that, but I am stupidly concerned about some of the other anti-LGBTQ stuff happening, especially towards uh, the trans community. Let's talk about social justice, broad term. Yeah. I wore one of my shirts today in honor of you. <laughs> Love it. Inclusivity, Black Lives Matter shirt. But I want to ask you your own personal perspective on, on the future of equality between the races and equality between gender and stuff. What do you think? Where do you think we're headed? I think I truly think that last summer with George Floyd was a tipping point. Um, I, 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 I can't I can't see it as backpedaling that far. That being said, you know, things like, um, you know, voter suppression that's happened, which truly does uh, statistically target uh, black and brown people. Um, when you look at the big conversation around, um, uh, you know, uh, the teaching of uh, racial equality in schools and, and how that's horrible, quote unquote. Race theory. Yeah. And, and, and so I, I, I get a little frustrated because I just feel that there's a really large vocal uh, minority that's going against inclusivity. That's really getting a lot of attention beyond what the normal folk. Uh, it seems like most people are just like, uh, I just don't know enough to make a decision to feel one way or the other. And then they get swayed toward this, this, this negative vitriol. And, and I, I, that does frustrate me, but I have to make sure that I don't get sucked into that emotional challenge. If I'm going to you know, position myself in, in, um, in the way that I hope I can, I, I, I saw a kind of case in point. I, I try to listen. Um, and, and for all of us, we, you know, it's hard. We're, we're very polarized as a society, actually globally, as, as you know, for one or the other. And I, I, I can't say that I don't lean one way, obviously. And it's not about party. It's about values. I am, I'm absolutely agnostic when it comes to any political party on, on purpose. Um, I am a Floridian, um, no party affiliated, so I'm, and that's fine. Um, but I always say I vote, and I just wrote an article on this, uh, in my blog, um, you know, about, you know, do you talk politics at work? And I kind of put it on your website. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I just just re reprinted that. And the one thing, you know, basically, the, the, if you don't want to read it, uh, folks listening, um, the, the, the crux of it is, you know, think about it through the lens of values versus through the lens of, you know, one party or another. And, and I think that's the smart approach. And so that's what I try to do. I actually reached out to somebody on social media they were they were very they were gay for and uh, in, insert the the forty fives uh, name here and uh, <laughs> and I, I asked and I and I, I honestly truly wanted to understand and so I asked reached out and asked them a question I said you know I, I, help me understand that perspective because I, I don't see it that way but I'm open to hear what you have to say and I literally that's exactly how I phrased it and um, pro I, I clearly chose a wrong person because they just threw all these memes at me, you know, and all these just 
<laughs> stupid things that had zero data behind them and, you know, throwing the F-bomb here and there. I'm like, okay. Uh, and I said, I said, thank you for sharing. I truly appreciate you taking the time. If I can give you some advice, if you're going to you know, support your side, you might want to like knock off with the F-bombs and, you know, the, the random capitalizations of things in your response and, you know, and, that, and that's fine. But I, I think it, it does take that type of, please just, you know, let's have a dialogue and find out why you are where you are and then move from there versus the, oh, well, the so-and-so told me I should vote this way or not like this policy. Therefore, I don't like that policy. I, uh, I want to ask you about... Your other book, Overcoming Poppy E-Learning, How to Effectively Evaluate E. Yes. Um, what do you want to know about it? Tell our audience a little about your book and what <laughs> motivated you to write it. So that particular one, um, it doesn't have a lot of traction, quite frankly. And it, it's, it was my first entry into uh, professional publishing. So that was actually self-published. Um, it actually is based upon what I've seen in the profession. And um, actually, my doctoral research um, was looking at people's attitudes toward online learning. Now, this is 2005, friends, way before what we're doing now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, It was you know, a snapshot it, in time. It was very, very different. But I mean, but it was still valid. I mean, at that moment, uh, e-learning, which is what the E means in that title, um, e-learning really wasn't that big of a thing. Or for those who did experience it, especially in a corporate setting, it was, it was crap, which is why the title Overcoming Poopy E-Learning came into being. And, and it was a way to kind of help um, people who are buying e-learning, creating e-learning, um, think about ways to do it in a way that makes it uh, memorable and consumable and a great experience for the learner. So that's kind of where that came up. Again, my doctorate's in distance learning. So that was kind of the, the, the focus there. And I still do a lot of that kind of consulting, but the, the book um, didn't get the traction I wanted, but I also didn't do a good job marketing it, unlike Pride Leadership, which I got a real publisher and marketing folks, and it just went a little bit different experience. Who is your greatest role model and why? Uh, well, I grew up in the Philadelphia area. So I was brainwashed to respond with Benjamin Franklin, <laughs> but it's, it's true. I mean, I, even as a kid, I always admired him. Um, and because you learn a lot about him more so than probably other kids because I'm in Philadelphia. And, um, but I mean, just, just, he was such a Renaissance man. He was very wise. He was cheeky witty in a great way. Um, I bet you he would have accepted LGBTQ rights totally. in the modern era too. Totally would have. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, there was just something, I never read a bunch of biographies about him and there was just something really cool about Ben Franklin. You know, he, he saw, and uh, you know, it, in times he reminds me of my dad because my dad is insanely creative problem solver. And he's, he, uh, by trade was a, um, a machinist, excuse me, a tool and die maker. And, um, you know, I remember going like, dad, my car's making a funny sound. What's it sound like? He's like, okay, hold on. He'd go to a shop and he'd come back. He's like, here, put this on there. I'm like, okay. And he would fix it. And it's like, to me, that's crazy. And Ben Franklin was the same way. Like, oh crap, I can't, I'm tired of taking my glasses on and off. He invented bifocals, you know, (laughs) my my place is really cold, Ah, pot belly stove. And so like, he would just do these things just out of necessity, but they were brilliant. And I just always admired him. So he was an 18th century MacGyver, (laughs) a little more complicated than that, but think about it. He was an inventor. I mean, yeah, this guy (laughs) had it all. The Dear Prudence, if, if, for those who don't know, like he wrote this column um, and, like, and no one knew who it was. It was like, I think it was like Dear Prudence or something like that. And it was like cheeky, witty people. And he would like disparage all these like really famous hoity-toity folks and no one could figure out who the heck it was. And so finally it came out that it was him. And I'm just like, you're so cool. <laughs> Looking at your life, what role do you feel spirituality has in your life? And how do you feel spirituality works within inclusivity and equality and promoting such within the corporate environment? Ooh, good question. <laughs> um, so I have to come out and say that I grew up Catholic. So, so did I. Well, I, I gave it up for Lent and it stuck. So there's that. <laughs> um, and if, for those who aren't, who aren't Catholic in the, in the audience, that's a really funny joke. So you got to Google that. <laughs> um, 
but no, I, 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 I left the church years ago. Um, but that, that whole concept of higher being is still part of who I am. I always say, you know, God, universe, Buddha, Allah, insert whoever here, um, because I think that is a thing. And, and I do truly believe in you put positive out, you get positive back, you put negative out, it'll eventually come back to you. And, and that kind of guides a lot of what I do as a business. Um, I just had a meeting uh, a little bit ago with a, a woman who may become you know part of my sales team. And, um, you know, she, I told her, uh, she's like, well, how do you feel about working with the competition? I said, I have no competition. She's like, what? I said, it is all business karma. Those are all collaborators and partners in my world. There's so much work to be done, especially in the creating inclusive leadership space. Why would I fight that? Let's just all like, we, let's be an army of awesomeness together. And she's like, we're working together. I'm like, we <laughs> And, and, and that's how my business has always been. I mean, it wasn't until about three years ago that I actually started advertising and doing things that got beyond my circle of network. And, you know, I've been around 13 years. Even I started in 2008, which was a crappy time to start a business. COVID was not much better. And knock on wood, here I am. And I truly believe that's because you put out some good stuff. It comes back to you. Absolutely. I will just share this with you while you were talking. I get premonitions sometimes being psychic. Mm-hmm. And I see you with four more books, minimal. Uh, I'm working on the next one now. Oh, you're going to have three others after that minimal. I think four plus. So there's going to be, cool. you're going to be a, a, a written established author in many other areas. So. Thank you. I, and I, I will honor that. I, um, I didn't realize how much I like writing. Uh, I mean, like, cause you, you know, God, at this point, you know, with three degrees and six figure student loan later, I've done a <laughs> lot of writing, but it's all Nova was not cheap. <laughs> no, no, Nova was not cheap. It was really not cheap. Um, but, uh, you know, like I did so much writing, but it was all academic and it wasn't until poopy e-learning, which wasn't a commercial success, but it, it was a creative success because it, it, it gave me my cheeky fun dad joke voice that, you know, and, and, that's how I am anyway, but also that's a strategic learning uh, mechanism for me. I've been in, and I'm sure your listeners have too, you've been way too many like leadership or business seminars and they are boring as hell and people don't know how to leverage humor. They don't, and humor is memorable. And so you like, when you throw in storytelling, when, when I throw in chapter titles, like you, uh, when it's talking about um, uh, mentoring, find your RuPaul, um, or um, when I'm talking to- about storytelling, I say, you know, storytelling, like Tori Spelling. And people are like, what the hell do you mean by that? And I explain it in the chapter. And like, that kind of stuff is fun and cheeky. And I love having that voice. So I will honor that and hopefully write a heck of a lot more books than that. As you were just telling me, I wrote down a few more notes. I feel like you're going to have something with the power of empathy as a theme. And I feel like you're going to have another one about how to, how to effectively listen. So I'm sorry, what? how to effectively listen. I'm sorry, something what? About- <laughs> you got me. You got me. <laughs> I, uh, tell us about your podcast. Actually, I don't have a podcast. And I'm, oh, I'm, I thought you did. Top dog. No, podcast. you know, but it's funny you say that. Maybe, maybe that's another premonition you have. <laughs> I was, I, I was working with a marketing coach last fall. You know, this is when I thought 2020 was. Uh, no, it was. No, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was last fall. So it was after. You know, why won't you have a podcast? Well, that was what she said, and I I'm like, looking at you right now, asking you that point blank because you carry yourself. I mean, look, you got graphics, man. <laughs> I know, right? You had graphics and show us the other graphics you were showing me before the interview. I really like those other graphics you were showing me with your hands and doing hearts and all that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I'm taking time from our interview, but I love that. Like that's creative right there. And so you could do funds like, like, Oh, old timey. And you know, yeah, like 1994. <laughs> my, my favorite, because I'm a star Wars nerd is help me. obi one. You're my only hope. That's my favorite. <laughs> but why don't you have a podcast? I mean, because I, I know, and, and you can probably back this up so much better than I can, Jason, it's a labor of love. It, it's, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of energy. And, um, and I, I'm happy to do that when it's right. Right now, it's not the right time. And so not I to put you on the spot with that. I was just curious because I think you definitely would have a successful podcast oh, and it wouldn't take you to really do that. Thank you. Some, down the road, but I decided to be a professional guest. So that's kind of where I'm focusing my energy. That's why, you know, like I'm on the sites that you found me. I have my- Pod I'm, match? Yeah. I'm on like four of those. Okay. I started writing. Uh, I, I have like this whole process on how to be a good guest, but also to use it for your thought leadership promotion and stuff. And um, I, I shared it with a, a host uh, on a podcast I, I was being interviewed for a while ago. And he's like, 
um, you need to make that a class. I'm like, you know what I do. And so actually I'm in the midst of making that class to well, share with folks just to, because to, you know, not everybody can tell their story, but they mm-hmm. want to, and they should. And so, you know, how can I help them? I used to teach public speaking. So it's kind of twisting that with a lot of uh, additional stuff for the digital age. Um, so I'm going to give that to the world and then maybe down the road, I'll, I'll do my own gig. You know, Freudian slip, so to speak, I am almost certain that you will have a podcast. Cause I kept, when I was reviewing for your show, today, the interview, I kept saying, oh yeah, top dog podcast, top dog podcast. And I kept feeling it in my energy. Not that, that I slipped up with that, but I really do feel very strongly in the future path for you. At some point, you're going to do something, even if it's a limited series podcast or something. You're spot on. My um, Actually, Jen, my publisher, who I talked about earlier, uh, we always have virtual coffee because she's not just my publisher. She's a good friend now, and she's a brilliant marketing business person. And she has like three podcasts and she's like said the same thing. <laughs> Why are you not having one? I'm like, oh, Jen, stop it. So maybe you're the universe, Jason, finally telling me something I need to hear. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, think about it this way. You came on my show at five o'clock on a Friday, right? How many people in our lives do that kind of thing, right? That shows a love, a labor, a passion. You might be considering yourself a professional guest, but in my opinion, your message is so important, so critical and so vital. Thank you. That Thank it needs to be out there because without your voice, I feel like there's a disservice to others. Thank you very so, much. I'll take that to heart. That's just just my opinion. What do you think about the future? <laughs> we have a heart graphic coming up. I took it to heart. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the future for yourself as the gay leadership dude? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Uh, on a beach somewhere in the Keys? No, <laughs> uh, no I... I I have had I have a really close friend of mine who is also intuitive and you know she's like you're never going to stop working not in a bad way she's like but this is your thing and I said this isn't work to me this is play and I can help put a ding in the universe and I get a paycheck that's fun um and and you know it makes people's lives hopefully better like the the example I shared today on social media so 10 years from now I'll probably still be doing the same thing much to the chagrin of my husband who will be like uh retire now please so um I, I just, I think sharing the concept of inclusive leadership is, is kind of my jam. Um, it, I mean, really at its core, it's allyship. It's, it's just being a better um, ally for any of the others, whether it be a queer for person or uh, people of color, different abilities, whatever that looks like. And so I don't think that story will stop anytime soon. Um, now, will Top Dog still be around? Who knows? Uh, will the gay leadership dudes still be around? Well, I own the copyright, so heck yeah. Um, that will be at least in perpetuity. So um, I don't know. It, it, it's, I'm, I'm excited just for at least the next four years to see where this journey takes me because I, I think, um, you know, and, and I know COVID was not good for a lot of folks. It wasn't good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my business totally imploded as of uh, April. I lost everything. Every client, all stuff went away. And um, glass half full, um, <laughs> former Disney. Oh boy, everything's awesome. You know, and uh, <laughs> mixing my Lego movie metaphors there uh, or brands. But, you know, in all sincerity, um, COVID was a really fantastic experience for me. I mean, obviously a lot of it was really crappy. Don't get me wrong. And, and oh, as an man. extrovert, uh, you know, for many of us, for anyone, extrovert or introvert, it was not cool. It's still not cool. It's like being in a cage, right? You feel like you're in a a self-imposed cage. I mean, I'm an extrovert too. I call myself the social psychic and I became the social distancing hermit, right? Like it's torturesome. It really is. And and I can understand, my heart goes out to you. I know I suffered financially too in my businesses and it's just because no one was doing anything. And it's only been the last three or four months that I've seen such a a pickup with everything. But what I saw, and and this gets back to your question earlier about, you know, how spirituality impacts my business. Um, what I decided to do, so, so to put it in context, most of what we did pre-COVID as a business was um, on-site training. And so, and we have a handful of like massive clients that we work with here in the States, uh, but they're global, global companies and they're big like pharma brands or big financial services. Like, so we go in and we do the content and it's great. Well, they, all of them came back of course and said, uh, Steve, you and your team are not coming anywhere near our campus this year. I was like, so, but I'd sold for 2020 by February. I'm, I'm set for the year. So all of that six figure revenue went away. I was like, oh. so, you know, after I kind of, you know, was like, okay, Steve, what can you do? You know, and, and I teach classes on resiliency. So it's like physician heal thyself. And um, so I started thinking, what can I do? I said, you know what? 
I teach resiliency in times of change. I'll just start doing some free webinars. So I started doing those. And then it's like, oh, calling up um, different professional associations. Hey, do you need virtual programming? Because you know, have Zoom, will travel. They're like, yes. And so I started like throwing it out there, that positivity. And dadgummit, if that didn't come back this year, I, I just did my financials right before right before this, this podcast. Um, we're, we're way over our best year ever. I mean, congratulations, like, like exponentially, it's insane. And, and I absolutely uh, contribute that to, you know, uh, servant leadership. What can I do to help? And that, woo, that coming right back in, into the top dog uh, doghouse. You know, it is, I feel like when, when you deal with adversity and you deal with setbacks and you can make it into something much more for yourself and for others, that's when you really, really get inside yourself and understand the core of your, of your values, your passions and your desires. And I feel like you showed that through the challenges of COVID to turn everything around for yourself, but to do so in a way where you reach out and fill a niche and help others. Like you just said, service oriented. And that's why you got rewarded where you're, you're back at being top dog. <laughs> and going back to earlier in our conversation, I think you could be considered an, an ambassador of positivity. I like that. I'll add that to my business card. <laughs> add that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, but, uh, it, is, it is true. I mean, I have my crummy days just like everybody else, but sure. I, I really, really strive to take that, that the positive attitude as best I can. And, you know, I, I always cite um, the, there's the kid's book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And, um, you know, and, and if you don't know that book, uh, listeners, it, it's really awesome for kids and for adults, quite frankly. But, um, you know, I, what, even when you have those crappy days, just to think, okay, what is five things that went well today for me? And I really, I, I teach that in my resilience classes, but I also try to do it as well. And I, I think it really does make a huge difference. What would be your suggestion to somebody who lives in, let's say, Arkansas, Lots of great who's gay? and struggles with their identity and they're really in an area where there's no resources available to them and for somehow they found our podcast today listening to your your message what would you say to that person so first i'm going to call you out on the stereotypes of arkansas not being inclusive but we'll put that aside okay <laughs> i was just using an example yeah I'm i know I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just harassing you actually um but no in all sincerity i think um one of the beautiful things about the world we live in, the blessing and the curse of social media and the connectedness that we have is that you can find your tribe um, wherever that tribe is. So, you know, and you're seeing this now with uh, even how remote working is going to be a massive deal. I mean, it's going to be, it, it was obviously a big thing during COVID and whatever, you know, Delta variant aside, whatever that looks like when we kind of get through or more through this, you know, the way we work is going to be wicked different and, and distance learning, distance technologies are going to keep us connected, whether it be in the workplace or other. And I think for anyone who, who feels that they're alone, I guarantee you're not. Um, it just might take some effort to find your tribe on Facebook or LinkedIn or, or whatever social media choice you have to reach out, to connect with others who share your values, who share your interests and, and build community virtually because we've just proven, um, even though. I knew before because, hey, doctorate in distance learning. But no, I, we, we've proven that we as a society can build and foster relationships via distance. Of course we can. Use that now to build the community and the family that you want. We're running low on time already, if you could believe that. How fast does this conversation go when you have such an awesome guest on the show? Professional. <laughs> How many podcasts have you been on? Uh, I think I'm up to 80 plus. Congratulations. So wow. Yeah. I, I have my own show for three and a half years, and I think I have 165 total episodes. So you're a half of me <laughs> with your own broad spectrum brush, you know? Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. I want to ask you this. If you were a spirit animal, which spirit animal would you be and why? Otter. And why? See, I didn't have to think about that. That's easy. <laughs> that was a quick response. Normally, my guests take a few seconds. No, uh, otter, because um, I've always identified with them because they're playful. I think I am. Um, they're insanely protective of their, their pack, which I am. Uh, and they're incredibly creative uh, and they're great problem solvers, which I like to think I am too. So I think I most, matter of fact, when, um, and I've always known this kind of for a fact, and if, if you're a Harry Potter fan and you know what a Patronus is, and I'm like, oh, totally, Otter is totally my Patronus. And then Hermione did hers for the first time as an Otter. I'm like, dang, come it. Now people think I'm Hermione. And if you're not a Harry Potter fan, this is completely <laughs> I'm a Potterhead, you know, I'm a nerd, but, but yeah, uh, definitely a sea otter. Wow. That's great. That's great. What is your favorite thing about yourself that you haven't shared on an interview that you'd be willing to share with our audience? 
And if you want me to go first, I can. Yeah, you go first, but I have I grew up in Northern New Jersey and in the nineties and eighties, nineties, and two, no, I left by the time I, I went to college, but my favorite thing about living in that area was I liked techno music. Uh, back then they had Guido's that's dating myself to tell you my age, but I enjoyed that stuff. And then now I look back on it and I'm like, Oh wow. That was a long time ago, <laughs> but I'll listen to it as I go working out. You know what I mean? So that's kind of one, one little detail for today. I'll share. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I used to always go to Northern New Jersey all the time for work. So um, I, used to, I was on exit 157 off the parkway, the Jersey joke there. Oh yeah. And that's how you identified Bergen, that's in Bergen County, okay. right outside yeah. New York city, five yeah. miles from Manhattan. I used to go actually Morristown is where I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 45 minutes from where I grew up. So, yep. um, so the one thing that I'll share, and, and I have not shared this on any other podcast, so, so it's exclusive. Um, technically speaking, I can use the title Lord, uh, Lord of Scotland. Wow. Yeah, and it's it's for dumb reasons, but it's still fun. Uh, so um, we're my husband and I are super close to our neighbors. We're like their gay sons, and um, they're in their seventies. We go over there all the time. In fact, that's where he's at right now with our puppies. And uh, we were sitting around their backyard drinking one day, and they were telling us about how they used to be the royal family. And and I'm like, what do you mean by that? They're like, oh, we would just pretend like we went on a cruise, and I called up pretending to be the atta- attaché to the Lord and Lady of Tangerine, but they live on Tangerine Street. So we had a big laugh about that. And I went home and I remember hearing something about like, you can buy, you can buy, if you own land in Scotland, you can claim the title Lord or Lady. And um, they, there's a service and it's obviously questionable whether it's, it, you can really do this or not, but they truly, you buy one foot by one foot plot of land. They plant a tree in this forest and you technically own that little tiny plot of land. So then they say, you can use the title Lord or Lady. You can legally change it, add it to your thing. And so I just think it's funny, especially with the last name of Iacovelli, people are like, is that Scottish? I'm like, no, it's Italian. Come on. So, I'm a Lord of Scotland of the County Glencoe. <laughs> have you ever tried to like have anyone send you a letter and put Lord as your title and see what happens to the U.S. Postal Service? No, I figured the doctor thing is, is enough confusion for that because you know, people are like, are you a medical doctor? I'm like, no, I'm the nerd kind. <laughs> so we could call you Lord Dr. Steve. Right? See, then he gets and now. He, <laughs> And I, I'm supposed to go get like my reverend's license to marry my friends next year. So then I could add reverend. I've done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could be Reverend Lord Dr. Steve. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for sharing that. That's an excellent yeah. detail. I want to thank you for coming on the show. Once again, can you share your information with our audience or where they should find you? Absolutely. If you go to um, topdoglearning.biz, B-I-Z, uh, there you'll find all about me, my team, some of the cool stuff that we do. There's freebies. Uh, free learning stuff. There's, um, you know, blogs, links to uh, podcasts that we've been on or I've been on. So um, topdoglearning.biz. And we're actually doing a, um, we'll put this in the show notes too. Uh, we're doing a free plus shipping offer for my book, Pride Leadership. So if you want to get it, um, all you have to do is pay shipping. US addresses only just because it gets really pricey to send out abroad, but happy to share the story with you if you want to amp up your own leadership, whether you're queer or not. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing everything today. And I would love to have you back on in the future uh, as you have these new books come out or any new learning program or any message you want to share with my audience. I would love to collaborate with you and keep you uh, in mind and have my platform available because I think everything you're doing right now is so meaningful, so important, so vital, so critical. I couldn't use any more words to show my support. And I deeply appreciate you. (laughs) There's a heart. I deeply appreciate you coming on the show and spending your time with us. and, And thank you. (laughs) <laughs> I appreciate you. I am. Um, right, thank, you, you, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to thank Dr. Steve for coming on the show and sharing his story with our audience. It's important to look at everything from the, from the framework of how can we become better? What does it mean to be inclusive? What does it mean to, to lead others? And sometimes that's a difficult decision. You got to be courageous. You've got to have the courage and you've got to have authenticity to understand others in your lives. If they're not equal to you in terms of perspective, meaning that if you have LGBTQ or minorities in, in, your, in your life, embrace them, be empathetic, create relationships with them and, and, and let them know that you're there for them to support them. It's so critical, so important post COVID that we have unconditional love for one another in whatever form and shape that is. And our culture can change itself from within one person at a time, one mind at a time, one paradigm at a time. And I think Dr. Steve is an example of someone who's a warrior, so to speak, going out there as an ambassador of positivity to change people's minds and hearts 
one person at a time. So check out Dr. Steve's website, topdoglearning.biz. Check out his book. I predict he'll have a podcast someday. And I also believe that you'll see him a lot more out there helping others, working in all the amazing things he's doing for inclusivity and everything else. So thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you have any questions, you can always email me at info at the letter D, socialpsychicradio.com. Until next time, stay positive because when you're positive, Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. With the Baker's Plus Card, it's easy to get lower than low prices. For the win! Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus Card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Hey, what's happening out there, everybody? This is Lawrence Ross, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my podcast, The Lawrence Ross Show. Egomaniac. It's a two-hour weekly exploration into my mind. I also do sketches, celebrity impersonations. You're out of order! And I also do song parodies. Not too shabby for a blind guy. Not only are you visually impaired, but you are geographically impaired. New episodes are released every Friday. Check it out on your favorite podcasting platform or listen to it here on Society 13 on Electrocast. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric acid. Electric acid.